Hey, Visionaries, it is time for another segment of The Visionary Diaries, where I take a break from interviews and long-form conversations so that you and I can connect over all things visionary. In these episodes, we'll chat about what it really means to be successful, how to challenge limiting beliefs that are holding you back, normalizing the pursuit of growth and reinvention, using no BS marketing and branding strategies in your business, and sometimes I'll just kick back and read you an entry from my diary as an entrepreneur, but above all, as a person who is just like you. You've got one shot at this thing called life, and I want to ensure you make it a great one, or rather, a visionary one. Let's dive in. Welcome back, everyone. Darielle Teitelbaum is a business lawyer based in Toronto, Canada, and she's the founder of Awe Legal, a unique law firm that focuses on working with athletes, artists, wellness professionals, and entrepreneurs. And if you didn't guess, that stands for Awe, A-W-E. Darielle and I go way back meeting while working at a spin studio in downtown Toronto, and we have remained friends and supporters of each other's business journeys ever since. You might recognize Darielle from one of our earliest episodes of the Visionary Life podcast, episode four. In case you didn't catch that episode, Darielle's story is that she left a traditional law firm to carve her own path and work with clients that share her values, passion, and drive. After years of working within niche creative industries and in the fitness world, Darielle wanted to provide even more accessible legal support across Canada. Now she has launched Awe Contracts, and this was born to support her community by providing accessible and affordable legal contract templates that are tailored to your unique niche industry. So this contract shop is a game changer for Canadian entrepreneurs, and it will ensure that when you set up your online business, that you are protected. I'm using one of Awe Contract's coaching client agreements, which protects my business by outlining things like cancellation policies, having earnings disclaimers, protection of my course content inside the visionary method. And I am so grateful for all contracts because I did get burned by not having contracts in place earlier this year. So speaking of legal stuff, I'm going to take a quick break to share an advertisement. Did you know that you can actually take courses on international law, intellectual property law, or other courses in relation to the law, and that can all be done on my favorite learning platform, edX. edX offers top quality university education at your fingertips, supporting learners at every stage, whether you're just entering the job market, changing career paths, or seeking a promotion. edX delivers online courses for visionaries like you on topics that you'll love, like marketing, law, entrepreneurship, food and nutrition, among many others. So if you want to get started on edX, just go to edX.org slash visionary. That's edX.org slash visionary, and you'll get an exclusive discount and you can start learning today. Offered fully online, edX courses are flexible and they fit into your schedule. I promise you they do. There's always 20 minutes to watch a lesson. So what are you waiting for? Get started at edX.org visionary. 
So back to my conversation with Darielle. In this episode, we're chatting about things like whether you should incorporate your business, how to make sure that you are not uh, violating spam laws for email marketing. We talk about what a trademark is and who should go about applying for one, how to protect the content that you post on Instagram, and so much more. So if you are a creator or an artist or an entrepreneur, go check out all contracts and grab a single contract like a podcast release form, or you can grab an entire bundle like the online course contract kit, which includes things like a mastermind agreement, a client services contract, a website terms and conditions and privacy policy outline, a GDPR GDPR? Yeah, that's the European guidelines. So a GDPR guide and a checklist. And of course, I'm hooking you up with some discounts. So use the code VISIONARY10 at checkout to save 10% on your first purchase. So you can connect with all legal or all contracts. Find them on Instagram, Facebook, and on their website. All of that will be linked in the show notes. Let's dive into my conversation with Darielle. Okay, so welcome, Darielle. So excited to have you here to chat about all things legal. And I thought before we dive into the video today, do you want to just describe a little bit about who you are and kind of how you got on this journey to becoming a lawyer and launching your business? Sure. Well, I guess that's quite the journey for me, but um, essentially, hi, my name is Darielle and I'm the founder and a lawyer at All Legal. So All is A-W-E and it stands for athletes, artists, wellness professionals and entrepreneurs. And I really started this firm because I didn't find my place in a traditional corporate setting. I also did criminal defense law. Lifestyle just wasn't for me. And, you know, my real passion was in the arts and um and in fitness, and that's how Kels and I actually met. I'm also a cycling instructor, which I don't think many lawyers would be able to balance, you know, both. And so I really, it was kind of like a matter of survival. If I wanted to stay in this profession, I had to create something that felt right for me. And in turn, I'm able to help my community and deliver legal services that are tailored to those specific niche areas and also in a way that I would like legal services, so in plain English, understandable, approachable, um, and yeah, transparent. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how it started, and since then um, we've grown. I now have a lawyer, Jamie, in BC, and she's wonderful, so um, still learning, but um, so I'm like my clients also on the um, entrepreneurial path. Yeah, I think it's so interesting that you <laughs> kind of bring up that you've created this business around breaking down the intimidation almost because for me when I first started my online business journey and my nutrition practice many years ago I was so confused and intimidated by Mm -hmm. everything like what's a privacy policy what about trademarks do I need to get contracts signed do I just make this stuff up and (laughs) it's really scary to ask those heavier questions when you yourself don't feel educated. So I think it's really neat that you've launched this business um, to kind of take away that scariness around what it is to work with a lawyer. So that's why I'm really excited to um, introduce this video to my students and clients and to everyone watching because I think uh, these are the conversations that aren't happening enough as this entrepreneurial boom is really going on. Absolutely, and I think we have amazing resources with podcasts and all that stuff, but for Canadian law, um, another big piece of my business is not the traditional business part, but it is education because I really do 
think that we all have the capacity to understand, but we're scared to ask the questions. And even if you're not in the, at the point where you're ready to hire a lawyer, having, you know, being armed with that knowledge to know what are your next steps is so important just to give you that confidence um, and working with the right people to help you get there, whether it's a coach or a mm -hmm. lawyer or whatever that is, it's, it's an investment. So yeah, I'm excited mm -hmm. to be here and help in any way that I can. Awesome. So I surveyed a lot of my audience and I know you put out some feelers too for questions. And I think generally we got a lot of the same reoccurring responses. So we're going to dive into things like privacy policies and terms and conditions and copyrights and trademarks and incorporating and all these words that we hear all the time as business owners that we maybe still don't feel equipped with the necessary knowledge on what we do with them. So uh, hopefully we cover everything that you're curious about. And um, of course, if you have further questions, we will uh, make sure you're able to contact All Legal at the end of the video today. Uh, so first of all, why don't we chat about privacy policies? It's a word we see on websites, it's a word we hear, but I don't think a lot of small businesses have set one up. So maybe what is it, who needs it, and how do you set one up? <laughs> Okay, so I was telling Kelsey before the video started, this is a really hot topic uh, for the last year or so because I'm gonna lump in privacy policy in terms and conditions kind of as one because we see them both on a website. But um, about a year ago, in May, I believe it was May 2018, in the European, European Union, the EU, they launched the GDPR, so that's mm. General Data Protection Regulation. Um, and so everyone kind of started freaking out about that. Um, us in Canada and then and in the U.S. may feel like, oh, we're not in the EU, so it doesn't matter. But um, it actually does matter, and it's also just good practice because the laws we kind of follow European laws a little bit later. So my prediction is is Canada's privacy laws will catch up eventually. So why not kind of implement this now? Um, and essentially, what the EU did was. Uh, back to your question, what is a privacy policy? Well, it's um, a policy that outlines how the company is collecting, using, storing your personal data, your private information. So part of the policy is outlining what is that information. So normally it's, it's your confidential information, your name, your address, your billing information, and what they've also said, it's your IP information. So when you're using your computer. Um, and there's a lot of you know, regulations that have come under the GDPR. But before I kind of get there, what I also want to say is who does this apply to? So mm -hmm. it's whether you are, you're doing business or operating in the EU um, and you're collecting or storing or having people visit your site. And so even if you're not directly advertising to EU businesses, um, let's say Kelsey's on vacation and she's logging into my website and the IP address is coming from the EU, that captures the EU. So um, it's a good practice if you use Google Analytics or any of those, just check who's visiting your site. And if you have anyone in the EU, you're actually um, responsible for having the policies in place. So some of those policies are um, having the, your language you know, very clear and in plain English for the person to understand what personal information is being gathered, how it's being stored. They also want you to appoint a data um, operations manager. I might be kind of butchering mm. that term, but a, a data um, 
data protections officer, sorry. And that could absolutely be you if you're a solo entrepreneur, but you know, having that conversation with your staff, what happens in case of a breach, having a plan for data breaches, um, having it clear, you know, what the age of majority is for using the site. And then as I was saying to Kelsey, um, being very clear that your site is using cookies and what that means, because most sites are, and having those pop up. So you'll see those kind of coming up more often. And then having a very clear opt-in to these terms and conditions. So not just using the site, but actually clicking a box. So this pops up right when you get to the site or upon purchase, whatever that is, and having an active opt-in. Um, and then the terms and conditions kind of go hand in hand and that's just the terms of using the website and that's just good practice because it protects you, it, it allows you to terminate access if someone's doing something illegal or fraudulent, maybe it outlines your refund policy. Um, so it's just kind of that extra add-on, but the privacy piece is really what the GDPR um, has cracked down on. And again, my, my intention is not to scare or intimidate. It mm -hmm. is a, kind of feels like a lot, but a lot of it is stuff you're probably already doing. It is good practice and um, yeah, you can work with a lawyer to draft something that, that covers you. So mm -hmm. I think we will be seeing more and more of this. You'll see that people are constantly notifying you as they update their policies. That's also part of the GDPR. Mm -hmm. So um, it's there and it's, it's manageable. It's just something that um, has to do with how we collect and use personal information. Mm -hmm. So one of the questions that comes to mind for me is, are we allowed to write privacy policies in terms of conditions ourselves? Do we need to have custom ones created with a lawyer or can we buy templates? So that's kind of like a three part question, mm -hmm. but are all of those okay? Are none of those okay? Mm -hmm. What's the, the best yeah. approach? So I definitely want to break down the stigma that um, you have to use a lawyer, you are always allowed to write contracts yourself. A contract is binding so long as two parties mutually consent and oh. have the capacity to consent. So you're not, they're not under duress. They don't have any sort of, you know, mental delays or anything like that. So with capacity, mutual consent, and there's some sort of consideration that is being passed. So some value being passed. I'm allowing you to use the service. You're purchasing mm -hmm. it or you're using it. And that's fine and it can be oral, but we write them down because that's evidence, right? Okay. So the reason that you use a lawyer is because the average person who hasn't, you know, who isn't attuned with the law and, and everything that's happening, they're not going to include all the terms that are going to really protect them. So absolutely, if you have no other option, sure, write down a contract with somebody, but it's not going to be as, you know, fulsome as working with mm. a professional, right? So, so that's to number one. Number two, um, can you use a template? I would warn against using templates depending on the jurisdiction you're in. So if you're using US templates, that's not necessarily gonna cover you. They're referencing US state law, US policies. So again, use at your own risk. If that's the only thing you have right now, maybe. Um, if you wanna write them yourself, do your research. I mean, the GDPR, um, there's lots on there about what needs to be included. Um, so that would be my warning. So obviously I'm gonna say work with a lawyer to make sure you're actually mm -hmm. covered. That being said, um, I'm actually working on a new business in 2020, launching legal templates for startup entrepreneurs, people who have a side hustle, and mm -hmm. I'm working really hard to create an online terms and condition kind of bundle that also comes with a how-to guide to kind of explain to you, like, not only do you use this template, but you need those cookie pop-ups, you need those opt-in boxes and all that kind of stuff that will be made by Canadians for Canadians. So I'll definitely be sharing that with um, Kelsey's community and offer a little promo code mm -hmm. when that's ready. But um, 
Did I answer all your questions? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I'm so excited for you to launch this because I feel like that is a gap in the market right now, especially, you know, whether you're in Canada or global, like we're just not hearing a lot of this information. So it's so amazing that you're putting this together and <laughs> filling <you>. the void. <laughs> um, what about disclaimers? So we had a question from one of the visionary students. Is that similar, writing disclaimers on the bottom of like PDFs that you're giving people or advice that you're giving? I'm not sure if that falls into privacy policy in terms and conditions, but when I hear that word, I'm kind of like, uh-oh, do I have disclaimers? Mm -hmm. What would you say is the deal on that? Um, so that reminds me, disclaimer. <laughs> this is not legal advice. I am just providing you guys information. So I am obviously a big fan of disclaimers because it just covers you, right? So good question. In your terms and conditions, you would have disclaimers. So often, especially for a coach or something like that, I would put in what I call an earnings disclaimer saying, I'm not guaranteeing you a certain income a month or revenue. You know what I mean? So that just protects you. So there's yeah. so many different kinds of disclaimers. I'm sure you've seen it on fitness posts, you know, don't try this at home. I'm a professional. So I do think um, for clients of mine who are in fitness, who are do lots of Instagramming of posting and their maneuvering bodies, I do say add in a little disclaimer. I mean, it does not have to be drafted perfectly. If you want help with it, of course, reach out um, to a lawyer, but just saying, you know, I'm a professional, don't try this at home or whatever that may be. Um, so I am a fan of putting certain disclaimers on um, mm -hmm. social media, media you're putting out and then having them in your contracts and then also in your terms and conditions. Mm. And I think that's what's so cool about all legal too is that you kind of have a niche of people and you probably know what types of disclaimers these people need to have. So right. working with someone who gets you is yeah. so important. And it has been trial and error where I talk to my client and I'm like, oh, that's your service. You're also doing that. Okay, let's build that in, right? Yes. So for me, that's really fun. And working one-on-one -on -one with my clients, that's what we do, really tailor the agreement to your concerns, your practice, and then covering you in every single way that I can foresee without intimidating your clients because you want them to be aware and mm -hmm. that's the best way to ensure there's no confusion or conflict or you know breach of a contract if both clients understand what they're entering into mm -hmm. both parties yeah and before we move on to the next topic i know you've mentioned this gdpr so the general data protection regulation and um, I know that oftentimes when I hear this term, I think of email marketing. And at one point, I think we all had to revise kind of our, mm -hmm. um, the way people opted in to ensure that we were compliant. So for someone who's starting a business and is um, signing up for a email newsletter account like MailChimp or ActiveCampaign or any of the ones where you can collect email addresses, are these programs like compliant to GDPR or do we have to go above and beyond and implement our own policy there? Right, so that's an awesome question and GDPR, like you would wanna build off of that to make a comprehensive strategy, but like you said, so Canada came out with their own CASEL legislation, so the Canada right. anti-spam legislation and that was when we all revamped and we used MailChimp and basically all that meant was if you're providing private information, email address, name, gender, billing, whatever, whatever is in a standard newsletter, you needed them to actively opt in and have the option to opt out. And so most services like MailChimp have that already. Um, the GDPR, I guess, would come in with how you're storing that information. It also says that if somebody requests to 
um, inquire about how you're storing it or using it or wants you to, to delete it, you need to do that, which is why you're supposed to have this data protection mm. manager officer. Um, so it's not that you necessarily need to do something different as long as you do have that clear opt-in, you know, on all of your like intake forms or on your website, a contact form that they're opting in. And you'd want to link that privacy policy again to your contact form or, you know, could be in your newsletter as well. So it mm -hmm. is kind of like a, a comprehensive strategy. And then they also say for you to kind of, depending on the size of your business, train your staff on how you're going to be mm -hmm. using storing information, dealing with the breach, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That is kind of higher level. Um, and if you had a big business that was really like operating in the EU, I would suggest contacting an EU lawyer who was really, you know, focused on the GDPR. But I think as long as you have those clear opt-ins, they can clearly opt out and it's Castle compliant, which is the Canadian legislation then you should be good and for someone who is still in the early stages of their business and they're like collecting emails via paper and pen is that enough to cover you yeah absolutely. just having a checkbox or absolutely um, there is like a portion of in the legislation of in-person consent and so I okay. think even for me I have a little file for when I do workshops and seminars because it's awesome I think emails are um, an asset of your business. If you ever sell your business, like that list of your customers and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff, that's an asset. So I keep, personally, I keep a little file of all those paper things and that's evidence of them consenting as long as they've, you know, they've written it themselves or given you the consent to write it for them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And then that first email, you know, you, you have the opt out box because people do just sign up to get the freebie and then opt yeah. out. And that's, that's fine, but again, in, in your policy, you might say you still store their data for your own marketing purposes, right? Okay. So that's okay. You just need to be clear about that in your policy. Mm -hmm. And one last thing, you do need an unsubscribe button on every email. Is that a legal issue if you don't have one? Yes, on every newsletter. On email. every email yes. newsletter. Okay, good to know. Uh, let's move on to the topic of copyrights. So this is something that flies around all the time. Do I need to copyright my, my own work? Uh, can I repurpose someone else's content on my own blog? So maybe describe like what is a copyright and who mm -hmm. needs it? Sure, so copyright is under kind of the heading or the legal term of intellectual property. So it's the right to, to copy or distribute or sell um, your written or creative or artistic content. Um, literally, literary, dramatic, musical, I think maybe I'm missing one, but there's like in the law, there's oh. different categories of copyright and, um, written copyright, um, you don't need to register it. So it exists by virtue of you writing it down. So the second you write your poem, copyright exists in that thing. And the evidence, you know, is that piece of paper, maybe the date and that's it. If it's something of value, then yes, you can register it online okay. on the, um, copyright registry. And it's actually not too expensive. So, you know, let's say you wrote a song or, um, yeah, like a book or something like that. You can mm -hmm. absolutely register it. Um, and that's why often you'll see at the bottom of a website or a YouTube video or something, you'll have the little C and your name and the date. And that's evidence that, you know, the copyright has existed. It doesn't necessarily mean someone's registered it, okay. but like you can, you're free to use that designation hmm. just by virtue of, you know, having it. But again, if there's ever an issue, having it registered gives you first right of like priority, I guess. So that's why people would register it versus something like a trademark 
that you actually need to register in order to get um, full protection. I, it's kind of um, a little bit more complicated with trademarks because mm -hmm. by virtue of using a name, um, you do get common law rights, even if you've never registered it, uh, but only in the region that you're using it. So let's say um, all legal, um, I have registered the trademark, but let's say I hadn't, just because I've been using it in Toronto for so long, people know the name, I do still have rights, but just in this region. Gotcha. And if someone ever kind of fought me on it because they registered it, I would have the onus of proving myself in the legal battle because yeah. the assumption goes with the person who's like registered the mark. Okay. So does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, in terms of photo copyrights, I know a lot of people are using social media mm -hmm. to build their business, right? So if I need content for my social media, can I go and repurpose mm -hmm. content I find through Google Images or I find it on your website or am I breaching a copyright? I think that's kind of a hot topic mm -hmm. right now. You were breaching a copyright. Okay, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, um, you'll see, I get this from clients all the time, how can I protect this? Especially I have photographers, creatives, designers, how yeah. do I protect it on Instagram? Well, firstly, you need to read Instagram's privacy terms and conditions, and that basically says they own your content as well. Yes, so wow. when you're putting it on Instagram, you're allowing them to, like a license to it, royalty-free, they do not have to pay for it. So what I do advise in that situation or recommend is to watermark it or do something that really, you know, shows that it's yours. You can't really um, protect it more than that other than, you know, sending a demand letter to somebody else or something like that. But if you want to reuse somebody's photo that you found or something on the internet, there are like websites that, that say you're free to use it. It's free. There's no copyright restriction. So by all means, use those. Or reach out to that person or artist and credit them or and see if they're okay with it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just good practice, right? And it's respectful. And us as entrepreneurs and creatives, you're constantly creating content. You don't want to be ripped off. So being mindful. There are uh, exceptions to copyright restrictions. Um, and one of those is for education. So let's say you were doing a private PowerPoint to your community and you were you know, you had pictures and a presentation for educational purposes to your group, you don't need to, you know, you're allowed to use those images for that purpose. So there's okay. a, a few restrictions um, that allow you to use content without the proper, you know, um, having the license or whatever. Hmm. Very good to know. Definitely mm -hmm. something I was curious about. Uh, you mentioned the word trademark a couple times, and I know that's not something that you necessarily focus on in your business, but could you just talk about like what a trademark is and how we would go about applying for one and who needs to apply for a trademark? You can trademark a name, a logo, both, um, a sound, anything like that. Um, and each one is a separate kind of registration. So you can do it yourself, absolutely. Like most legal things you can do yourself. Um, it just becomes confusing searching, you know, putting it under the right category, all that kind of stuff. And I was saying to Kelsey, it's kind of a long process. It could take up to two years to be finalized. That being said, the second you start the process and you apply, that locks you in as the first person, right? So if you're thinking about it, I would say go for it sooner than later. Mm -hmm. And it is a great thing, especially if you plan on expanding. So if you want to ever license your brand, you need to own that that trademark in order to do that and um, it is just federal name protection so it protects your name or your logo whatever that is across Canada 
Um, if you want to trademark in the U.S., that is a separate process. Okay. Um, yeah, so a lot of lawyers here, though, like I work exclusively with a trademark lawyer who is wonderful, and she, she can do tra um, U.S. trademarks as mm -hmm. well, but it is like a separate um, process. But basically the test for that is when you register is like, is it confusingly similar? So let's say I want to register um, like Nike with N-I-K-E-E -E, mm -hmm. and it's a shoe company, right? Obviously this is super, super similar, but it doesn't matter like how it's spelled. It's like phonetically, like does it sound, would it confuse a customer? Yeah. Then it would be rejected, right? So there's a lots of different um, rules for things you cannot trademark. Like you can't trademark um, a geographic region, you can't trademark mm. your name, and there's certain exceptions to that, because obviously Tim Hortons, that's a name, that's trademarked, so right. there's always exceptions in the law, so that's why it is an area that you would want to work with a lawyer, um, but it, I, I am a big advocate of trademarking because I do think it's an asset for your business, and it protects you as you grow. So do you think that a brand new business owner should tr think about trademarking or is it something that we wait until we like have a hundred thousand in sales each year or till we're five years into our business? What's the right time to explore a trademark? Yeah, that's a good question because I don't think there really is. It really depends. I have clients who come to me like, I need trademark right now. This is the most brilliant name, you know? Yeah. And I have people who are, who are more conservative. I do, I do think it's, um, it depends on your goals and it depends on the name. If it's a very, very unique name, then you can build that common law, right? You know that, mm -hmm. you know, um, you're not so sure and you're gonna just build a reputation right now. But if you know you plan on opening other chapters, you plan on opening other stores, or um, it's, it's unique right now, but like it's a very hot button, I don't know, thing, then I would recommend trademarking sooner. Mm -hmm. So sorry, it's not like a clear cut thing. No, it makes but, sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a personal decision too. Mm -hmm. So what about when someone starts a business and they're deciding, is this going to be like a partnership or am I incorporating or am mm -hmm. I doing this as a solo preneur? What, how do we go about that? And do we need to work with a lawyer if we're choosing mm -hmm. one from the other? Yeah, and this has come up, this has kind of become a big focus of my practice. I, I think a lot of people now are really, do I incorporate, what does that mean? And so I've, I've done a lot of education around this, and I think it's a, important to know the difference. So essentially, um, there's two reasons to incorporate. One is liability. So when you incorporate, it shields you from risks. So if you get sued, you're not being sued personally, your house, your car all of that is protected, they're suing the corporation. Mm. So depending on the nature of your business, we would have that discussion. So is it a very high risk business? Are you starting a kayaking adventure company? Well, then I'd probably recommend it, right? Versus yeah. something that's like, oh, you're a graphic designer. I mean, I don't, it would be a, a little bit of a different um, discussion. And then the second reason is the financial piece because um, when you incorporate, you're no longer paying, you know, um, sole proprietor taxes, you're paying corporate taxes. And so I always recommend talking to an accountant first because um, you might have great tax savings, but you also might be paying more in taxes. There's also the upfront cost of incorporating. So just, I like people to have the whole picture. Um, so those are really the two reasons to incorporate. And then from there, if you have a partner, um, you would either have a shareholders agreement or if you didn't incorporate, you would have a partnership agreement. So I'm just gonna put that on a little bit of a pause. Mm -hmm. I want to answer your question of whether you need a lawyer to incorporate. So I do really recommend it because 
for provincial incorporations, you need to use a third party platform. So you can't just go online. So it's a little bit more complicated. Federal one, you can, and a lot of clients kind of do it on their own. And they come to me later saying, oh, my accountant needs my shares or they need this. And they've never actually issued shares. They have no resolutions, corporate resolutions, because this isn't something we talk about. It's not even something I ever like podcast about. Right. But as part of the incorporation, yes, you need your articles, which you get online and you can open a bank account with, Mm -hmm. but you also need uh, corporate resolutions, which basically lay out who's the director, who's the, who are the officers. And then we issue shares, um, and we do an annual return. And so all those things, um, which I don't think is common knowledge to the solo entrepreneur or new entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So I, I do recommend going through a lawyer and really they've automated these things so well now. I do all of my incorporations online. So okay. I used to have to meet my clients and give them a whole clunky minute book. Now I do all digital incorporations. It's so easy mm-hmm. for both parties. So um, that's what I would say for that. And then yeah, shareholders agreements and partnership agreements. I highly recommend if you're working with someone else because if I've not, heard horror stories. <laughs> yeah, and so have I. I mean, I've had to break up companies, and it's just sad, especially when I say it's like a marriage because you really need to know the person that you're working with really, really well. And if you have a partnership, this is a big like one. If you have a partnership, so you're not incorporated, you are sharing the liability fifty-fifty, unless you say otherwise in an agreement. So the law assumes 50-50. So let's say Kels goes off and like gets us into debt and does all these crazy things. I am on the hook for that. Mm. So you need to like really trust your partner, have in writing, you know, what you're bringing to the table, how you're dividing your duties, all that kind of thing. So I would highly recommend an exit strategies because um, if one partner wants to leave, what does that look like? What if you want to bring in a new partner? And so it's always like, outlining the what ifs um and the same with the shareholders agreement um similar but a little bit more robust because there's a little bit more law to it but Mm -hmm. like you said I think it's a hard one to navigate because we want to see the best in everyone and I don't think I think it's how we approach it it's like okay we really Mm -hmm. want to be set up for success let's map this out and have this honest conversation definitely and we had a question from one of the students, and I'm not even aware of this. What's the difference between incorporating provincial, provincially versus federally, or is there a difference? Yes, there's absolutely a difference. That's also a good question. And so, like I said, when you do it federally, it's an easier online process. And actually, the fee is a little bit lower as well. And that gives you um, federal protection, so across Canada. And it also, if you do a named incorporation, um, it protects the name across Canada, which is really great, but some accountants don't like it because I think it does affect your taxes again. So I, I always say, be honest about where your business is. So if the majority of your business is in Ontario, then do an Ontario incorporation. That doesn't prevent you from doing business you know, outside, but the majority, if you have like an online business or you're really like you're across Canada, then then do federal and again speak to an accountant but when we do a federal corporation you then still do a extra provincial registration so we would do federal but we would say your head office is ontario or whatever province that is and you pay that fee um and yeah ontario is is obviously you're just protecting yourself in ontario gotcha Mm -hmm. and that's definitely something that yeah it's helpful to talk to someone like you because it can be a bit confusing when it comes down to federal provincial like where do i need to protect myself so i think that's really helpful so i think that's all the questions that we have (laughs) is there anything else that you feel like 
a startup entrepreneur who's in the wellness or artist or entrepreneurial space should chat with a lawyer about anything that comes to mind? I think, honestly, um, I do a lot of contract reviews. And I think anytime you're, especially if you're an artist or something like that, if you are receiving a contract to have another eyes on it yeah and I would say you know really focus on termination clauses because that's often where I see people get stuck so on the employer side and the freelancer side Mm -hmm. um and then yeah I think I work hard with with freelancers just to have ownership over their own contracts to have things in writing because I know when we start, there is a lot of just good faith and it's mm-hmm. been working and they know my rates and they're really good about paying me every month or whatever that is. But in the long run, like it's not a bad idea to just invest in one client agreement that you use forever and outlines all of your policies really clearly, has a level of professionalism, you know, is branded. Yeah. Um, and, and so I just kind of always push for that. And then again, if you're in... Um, a more high risk industry and you're not incorporating then definitely have a robust waiver in place so you know that covers you for slips and falls and injuries and that kind of thing mm, amazing so much good advice here and uh, <laughs> I feel like that was like a lot but it was <laughs> so rewatch this video a couple of times let it all sink in and I'm sure people will have questions so um, where can people learn more about all legal and about mm-hmm. the services that you provide yeah, so I have a website, www.awelegal.com, and on there, there is a news tab that has a bunch of old blogs. I mean, I really don't post a, a whole bunch, but there are some good resources there, like what's the difference between a contractor and employee, what is a waiver, and I have some of those like, common questions, so that would be a good place. On Instagram, mm-hmm. I'm at all legal. I try to post little videos or tips. I have a little highlight of tips, and awesome. I try to kind of put stuff on there but absolutely this is really a high level really quick overview I definitely didn't include everything but if something sparked interest or you know curiosity feel free to email me at darielle at alllegal.com and I'll reach out to Kelsey (laughs) perfect yeah and I'll link all of that in the accompanying document to this video and uh, thank you so much for sharing all that my head is like exploding (laughs) with ideas of things I need to do now so Uh, Hopefully we'll have you back someday. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis. So it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show in your iTunes app. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Kelsey Rydell. I'll catch you in the next episode. P.S. Whenever you're ready, there's a couple of ways that I can support you. So first thing, if you're ready to make your first or next $50,000 in business, explore how the Visionary Method business coaching experience can accelerate your growth. There'll be a link in the show notes. Also, if you're feeling lost, confused, or overwhelmed when it comes to starting an online business, reach out and book a free revision call with me. I'll offer you customized recommendations on how to get unstuck so you can live a life filled with joy, happiness, and fulfillment.